Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear west turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta I had a CFI once uh, who liked to sneak out on, this is when I was a primary student, who liked to sneak out onto the flight line before I arrived and hide things in, basically break the airplane um, in minor ways, ways that wouldn't necessarily make it non-airworthy, but ways that you should find during pre-flight. And, uh, and, and this was a test. I was supposed to catch these things, and I usually did. And... Uh, um, but he and but then he, he graduated to like leaving like rags in inside the you know inside the engine compartment. I'm thinking I wish you wouldn't do that. But uh, um, but I never found bees inside my airplane. <laughs> I wondered where this was going. I, I never found bees inside my airplane. This is from a story from uh, the uh, the WPBF.com website, Channel 25, in someplace, uh, probably Florida. I don't know. South Florida, apparently. Yeah. Uh, Crews battle bee infestation at Fort Lauderdale Airport. Uh, Dania or Denia Beach, Florida. Officials in Broward County said crews were called to Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport to battle a swarm of bees that had nested on a plane. Um, They uh, apparently got into the left wing of the airplane. And and here's the part that I'm not sure if I think was the best way to approach this problem. Uh, They they got rid of the or they, they, they battled the bees by spraying them with foam. Which I don't know what did they, what did they do? Did they like shoot foam in the wing where they be? I don't know what was going on here. This is yeah. this is strange. That does kind of surprise me. Usually they use uh, smoke. Well, that's yeah. when they get real beekeeper folks, you know. So maybe they didn't. Maybe they just got the fire department and they figured, you know, we haven't played with I mean, foam you, in a while. You, I would think that smoke would be able to penetrate the same areas as the honeybees much more efficiently and effectively than any kind of foam but they get in after foaming up the cracks in buildings a couple of times i'm amazed at how that stuff expands too see that's that's what i'm getting at here all right so presumably go ahead jeb no i was gonna say and and i got a terrible connection here um but i'm gonna say my only question is did the airplane have any honeywell equipment in it Well, that ought to be the that ought to be the bump right there into the intro. But no, I wanted to talk about something else. So what I wanted to ask about though is, so these guys found bees in their airplane, and you know, I suppose bees can arrive very suddenly. It made me wonder when I first read this story, how long has this airplane been sitting on the ramp? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but I guess bees can arrive pretty quickly if you know in the right circumstances. Um, and but I wouldn't think that foam is the best way to get them get rid of them. I've read stories about you know when when you're serious about not hurting the bees, you bring a beekeeper in and they do all yeah. kinds of magic with with you know other queens and they actually capture the 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 swarm or the hive. Or yeah, they can they can transplant them someplace where yeah. they'll be welcome. Yeah, foam on the other hand is not only going to annoy the bees, it's likely to make the airplane not airworthy. If you ask me, I don't know. You're going to shoot foam. Well, yeah, depending on the foam they're using, you know, it could be corrosive. Yeah. It could you know, there's all kinds of, of bad stuff. Yeah. Um, so, 
So I don't I know about this. I hope they got the pilots, you know, I hope they got the donor or pilot's uh, approval before they did all that. Well, you know, and I'm imagining a situation where the, uh, you know, like the, the, the somewhat arrogant owner of this biz jet, you know, is on the ramp stamping his foot saying, I need to fly now, fix this. And the fire department <laughs> go, oh, okay, we'll get rid of the bees, you yeah. know. And uh, anyways, maybe that's not what well, happened, but that's my fantasy. The, the yeah. flip side of which is, you know, as long as they're in the left wing, you know, depending on where they are in the left wing, how many of them there are in the left wing, go fly. They'll probably fly, fall off. Yeah, I know. That, 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 that occurred to me, too, that they might yeah. decide to uh, evacuate their, their new space uh, when it got up into the flight levels and got, well, colder than a honey dipper shovel. Yeah. How's that? But, but what uh, what's the likelihood that there's some sort of opening between the inside of the wing and the jet? I'm just I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing this is probably a pet pressurized aircraft, right? So there's yeah, but the wing's not aircraft. Yeah, yeah. So there's no opening. There's not no likelihood. There's very little likelihood that the bees are going to make it from the wing into the cabin in flight. They'd have to be some very industrious and and uh, uh, special bees to okay, to make okay. it from the wing into the cabin. So, but here's my actual. This is what that, that doesn't mean that they couldn't get into openings that right, have right. to do with the cooling and pressurization system of mm-hmm. the airplane, and totally foobar uh, that system's functionality. That's true. Uh, There's probably other, you know, stuff working stuff in the wing that they might mess up. So you probably well, it, it, they pressurize the airplane using uh, uh, air that's bled off the compressor section. Right. They call it bleed air. Yeah. Well, that air is hotter than hell. Mm-hmm. So you don't want you know you don't want to be shooting that through the cabin to keep the cabin pressurized at you know at like 165 or 70 degrees. So they run it through an intercooler, a radiator, and that thing is cooled by outside air. Okay. Well, the that outside air's got to come to that cooler from outside. So bees could migrate into that and clog it all up. Uh, temperatures would go off the scale. Yeah, the, uh, none of that's in the left wing. No, it's not in the wing, but it's on the airframe. Right. Saying if they can get into the wing, they can get into other places. Mm-hmm. Well, I had probably a, not I had a, in flight. Yeah, Jeb? No, I, I had a deal completely unrelated, except for the B thing. Uh, years ago when I was in college, came back from a weekend away and, and walked into my room in a rented house, and there were probably 500... 600 bees on the floor. They'd come in through the window mm-hmm. and were dying or, or dead uh, just on the floor and around the window that, you know, I, I've, I've seen and heard of, I've uh, obviously seen this once, I've heard of it several other times uh-huh. uh, where the bees, that's bizarre. for some reason, some ass around some, okay, that's bizarre. Um, <laughs> and, and I made a bee line out of there. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, when, I, when I found that. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it's 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 definitely bizarre, and uh, but it's not un, unheard of. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how common it is. Let me ask this of the two of you: What's the strangest thing you ever found when pre-flighting an airplane? Have you ever, in fact, found something that was serious enough that you rejected an airplane? Oh sure. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Jeb. Uh, wow. Let me think. Um. Um. Rejecting an airplane, you know, uh, flat tires, low tires, you know, not enough oil, um, you know, all that stuff is 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 uh, you know readily fixable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I've had radios that weren't working, 
um, things like that. Um, some other times, you know, we'll have a you know electrical system probably alternator won't engage. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that once the engine started. Yeah. Now, none of this applies to to my my airplane. The only time I've had a pre-flight where uh, uh, it wasn't going to fly was. Um, um, more of a post-flight, as it were, when I when I lost a cylinder. Right. Yeah. Uh, ma- yeah. Mainly talking about rental airplanes. Yeah. David, how about you? What kind? Of, any any unusual things you found during pre-flight? Uh, well, a, a a bird's nest with three eggs in it once. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I, I've done that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, way way at the back, near the 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 rear baffle, and right in the airflow, uh, naturally. Uh, and cleaned it out and was gone for about a week and stopped at this little country airport in far southeast Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, n- northeast Tennessee would be more like it. And uh, landed there late morning and uh, went out and flew another airplane all day and landed someplace else, had lunch, came back, and there was another nest in the airplane. And two nests no eggs yet. Two nests in the same day. Not the same day, but in the same week and about 800 miles apart. Wow. That was, that was some industrious bird to follow you all that way. <laughs> you know, I figured it, it, he probably wasn't going to get his deposit back. So, uh-huh. Yeah. What about, what about back in your hang glider days? What, what, what's pre-flight, pre-flight like on a hang glider? I mean, uh, it's actually pretty straightforward, uh, but there are stuff that you can you can miss, and uh, if you don't pay attention, uh, you basically start at the nose like we would start with the spinner uh, on an airplane, and check that all the wires, top wires, bottom wires, are secured, and the uh, securing device, uh, you know, whether it's a wing nut or a castle nut or a pit pin or something like that, is itself safetyed. Mm-hmm. So that there's no way in hell any of that can come loose. None of it's really apt to fall out if it did come loose, if the fastener came off in flight because of the loads on it. But you wouldn't want to have that momentary instant of no load in which something came dislodged and left you kind of reaching for the parachute handle. Yeah, right. uh, you need to look inside the sail. Most gliders these days are, are, are double surface. Uh, intermediate and higher performance. So you want to be able to stick your head inside and look at the rigging and touch the rigging on the crossbar. And hang gliders these days tend to let the crossbar float in some manner. So it moves left and right over the keel. And uh, so there's a restraining device there or hinge. You want to make sure that that's all doubled down, uh, backed up, and everything safetyed. Uh, ribs that go in the upper and lower surface, uh, you want to make sure that they're in their pockets and secured with the uh, double purchase lines on the uh, uh, outside of the sail. Uh, if they've got plug-in tips of some kind, you want to make sure that those puppies all work uh, and are in place. Uh, check the crossbars, make sure all those bolts are fastened. Check your uh, backup and main hang straps. Make sure they're in the right position because you can move those around and that will affect your trim speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a pre-flight going on here for sure. This oh, is absolutely. an annual inspection. I know. I know. This is pretty serious, huh? <laughs> yeah, and you know, it it takes all of two yeah. minutes 
to right. examine the whole thing because so much of it is right out in the open for you to see and touch. Right. And what's not right out in the open is is viewable and touchable, usually by some zippered access pan, uh, points in the lower surface mm -hmm. and usually through the uh, rear of the double surface near the keel. Right, right. Uh, so that that can all float back and forth. Uh, you set them up in a sequence, you tear them down in a sequence, you pre-flight them in a sequence, and it's really easy to get into a routine where you just touch everything. On your way around the around the glider. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about? Uh, I'm sorry. And then go ahead. Don't let yourself get interrupted because if you do, it's, it's real high odds that you won't come back to exactly the place that you left off. Yeah. Now, what about flying other people's airplanes? You guys fly um, from time to time, uh, you know, like demo airplanes and airplanes for articles and 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 those kind of flights. How how, how diligent are you about pre-flighting that kind of an airplane when you're going to go pilot it? Like an experimental test pilot, I, yeah. So you, you and but it's probably an unfamiliar airplane. You feel like the common, you know, elements of the airplane are are, are common enough that you can do a pre-flight yourself. Not necessarily, no. Yeah, no, it yeah. depends on the airplane. Yeah, plane. Uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there. I don't know. I mean, I. I uh, it's been a while since I. Uh, the last the last time I flew, uh, um, well, let's back up. Last time I flew someone else's airplane uh, was basically the first time the airplane had flown uh, post annual, mm -hmm. and first time I, w I was to flew first time its owner was to be in it, and, and this kind of thing. Uh, it had been gone. Lee had gone through it, right? Um, and uh, he and I had talked about. Um, uh, you know what he'd found and what he corrected, and you're talking like about that. your your neighbor's new airplane, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. right. This was uh, this last summer. Yep. Um, and uh, <clears throat> went through several other things. I had, uh, you know, for one of the things I had checked was uh, the paperwork. Uh, sir, okay, we had we had a pink slip, we had uh, uh, a certificate of airworthiness and whatnot. We didn't have any weight and balance numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to go find um, uh, appropriate weight and balance numbers and, and put them in the airplane so that it was we were all nice and legal. Um, I, had, I had been through the airplane a good bit with Lee. He had obviously been through it a lot. Um, so it had, you know, it had new tires. Uh, the brakes had been gone through. Um, the engine had been run up. It, 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 someone else had flown the airplane in here uh, the day before or something like that. Um, but uh, there had been some other work that had been had been done to it. On a one, this is a 172. On a 172, you know, there's certain things you want to check. Uh, I always check the aileron um, uh, rod ends. Uh, there's a, a double nut um, arrangement on them. Um, the two nuts lock against each other to keep the the, uh, the rod end uh, on the uh, on the mechanism. I always want to check things like that. Checking the um, the aileron hinges. Uh, kind of piano hinge arrangements on them. Um, there's uh, the uh, there's a piece of plier itself that goes through the hinge, and uh, that piano wire should be bent slightly on both ends to to eliminate the possibility of the piano wire working itself out of the aileron mm -hmm. hinge. Mm -hmm. uh, so the little things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going around to the tail. You know, you're looking at you know similar things that you'd be looking at on the, on the wide open hang glider. Uh, but you want to kind of crane your neck around and, and you know get down on your knees maybe and look at the 
the way the um, the nuts and the bolts are, are secured uh, on the elevator. Um, uh, the struts are pretty bulletproof, and there's no real good easy way to, to peel back the uh, the fairings there to to look at them. But um, you know, the, in a prop on a, on a skyhawk, most skyhawks anyway, is, is a fixed pitch prop. It's a solid hunk of metal. Um, as long as it seems to be you know attached, there's no fore and aft play on the on the prop relative to. Uh, uh, let me put it another way. You pull, push, and pull a little bit on the prop, and and if there is any, uh, then you want to might maybe you know, investigate things a little bit more fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there shouldn't be. If there is, you, you might have a problem with the crankshaft. Uh, there might be some other issues uh, internal to the engine. Right. Right. Uh, uh, you know things like that. Yeah. Um, check the air filter. Make sure it's clear. Um, we did a uh, pretty extensive run up with it. Um, Control uh, system made sure it was it was free. Made sure it was obviously all correct and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Ran the trim back and forth. There were a lot of little things that we did um, before we got that little sucker off the ground. Right. Yeah. You mentioned Lee. Who's Lee? Lee, uh, the satanic mechanic, the man in black. That's right. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to episode two hundred and ten of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday evening, October 12, 2010, and uh, joining me here this evening in the virtual hangar is uh, uh, the, that that uh, that uh, sidekick of the satanic mechanic, Jeb Burnside, is here talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> How you doing, Jeb? I don't know. Are you his sidekick or is he yours? I'm not sure which. Well, we're you know kind of peas in a pod sometimes. Yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, um, He's he's the satanic mechanic and I'm uh, El Piloto Loco. Oh, that's right. That's right. You formed a little uh, a little firm down there, haven't you? Yes. Right. Well, we've we've done more than that on occasion. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and if you want to put a if you want to put a visage to the image of the satanic mechanic, use uh, Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown and Back uh-huh. to the Future as your model, and that's uh-huh. but but add about a hundred pounds and in, in about six inches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can you uh, tell? You want to tell the listeners what the business cards? says oh i you know I, I i don't have one of those in front of me it's it's uh the hidden river clinic yep um uh, <laughs> what is it uh, mechanical aeronautical and emotional counseling um and then the subtitle is is um i mean we'll fix anything once or something like that <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah you know it's it's it uh, oh it, i think that the final tagline on it is we also test missiles that's the one yes <laughs> So, anyways, we also test missiles. That's that's El Piloto Loco and the satanic, say satanic no, well, mechanic. Yeah, well, his his nickname <laughs> is down here is Doc Brown uh, for obvious reasons that, that Dave just explained. Uh-huh. Um, mine is Doctor Seuss. Yes, and we have pictures to prove it. As we, a matter we have pictures to prove it. <laughs> um, right. There was an occasion. Um, I believe alcohol was involved. I'm not <laughs> sure. I remember. Uh, but I was I was an innocent bystander. I was an innocent bystander. I was asleep in a chair, and someone put a Dr. Seuss hat on me, the, the multicolored top hat thing. The cat and hat, the hat hat, hat, yeah. Cat, the cat and the cat hat, uh, and took a picture. Yep. And no, no, you cannot buy a picture, a copy of that picture. <laughs> So. And also with us today in the virtual hangar is uh, El Capitan Higdon. Dave Higdon is here. Um, how are you doing? He's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing tonight? Oh, it's just finer and frog hair. It's a nice, uh, going to turn into a crispy, chilly night. And uh, 
Leaves are starting to change. It was nice and blue with a lot of a lot of developing but blowing through cumulus this middle of the day. Really? Yeah. It would have been fun to be doing some cloud canyon hopping. Uh, doing wonderful, getting ready to head off to Atlanta for NBAA, NBAA in, in a few yeah. days. Yeah. And so I don't forget this week, uh, I'm, and my name is Jack, <laughs> and I'm Jack Hodgson, <laughs> talking to you from uh, UCAP's Autumn Headquarters, high atop Lookout Point in colorful Nottingham, New Hampshire. Um, and we're still waiting uh, pictures. I know, I know. i got to do something about that. i got to get you guys pictures. I will. Well, you know, if you had something other than an iPhone, you could maybe take pictures and email them to us, but, you know. All right. Uh, okay. All righty, then. Yeah, yeah. You know what they're saying the number one uh, mobile uh, telephone operating system is these days? Android. Yeah. Can you imagine? I just don't even understand this. Well, it, it's, it's, I don't know that it's the number one as far as quant, you know, in-service quantity is concerned. I think it's probably you know, number one as far as recent sales are concerned. Yeah, well, maybe that's what they're measuring. And there's a lot of different, you know, a lot of different uh, um, types of, of Android, phone, Android yeah. phones out there. Yeah. So being the gluttons for punishment that we are, uh, we're recording this episode a mere three days after the previous one, um, because we're trying to get on to back onto our regular weekly schedule here after our summer vacation. And so the the list that we're working from tonight is kind of a kind of a grab bag here, kind of a potpourri of uh, of aviation <laughs> stories here. And so I don't know, in no particular order here. Let's see. Um, well, speaking of iPhone, and I oh, see now it's going to sound like this is a setup, and it, and it isn't. This just happens to be the first one on the list. But there was a cool uh, uh, app that came out onto the uh, iPhone App Store about a week or so ago. That uh, at first, and we were all kind of you know ooing and eyeing about it because it was cool, and now it's actually turning into a little bit of a controversy. It's a yeah. it's a uh, it's an application that runs on the iPhone. It may run on Android too. I'm not sure. Um, and what it does is that it. Uh, um, you you turn on the live camera, the video camera, and you aim the camera at the sky. All right, and suddenly what you see, in addition to the sky in your on your camera on your telephone uh, screen, is little data blocks of aircraft that are passing by. All right, um, sometimes they're very far away in the distance. You, know, you can say sometimes it'll say 25 miles distant or something like that. But uh, um, it's a pretty pretty interesting, amazing app. It's uses it's kind of a concept called augmented reality, where they're and what they're doing is they're they're accessing um, a, a partial database of of aircraft that are in the area. And uh, and they, there's all kinds of uh, of uh, sensors in the phone, so we can sense what direction it's aimed in, and what you know, what compass direction, and and what elevation is being pointed at, and it calculates all the things that it needs to calculate, and says, oh, there's an airplane right there, and shows the data block, shows you you know, uh, flight number, airline, or or type, or you know, and and altitude and speed and so forth, um, kind of cool. Um, and we were all ooing and aahing about it the first day it came out, and talking on Twitter and whatnot about it. But uh, have you guys seen this thing? I've I've, I've not seen it in action. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with what it does and how it does it. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of scary. Um, yeah, a little it, scary, and that's the controversy yeah, that's starting to rise. Yeah, that's that's the controversy. Uh, obviously, it's using ADSB. Mm-hmm. Uh, the airplanes involved uh, at least have a mode S transponder. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, and are sending um, the, the MODES data to the ground stations. Uh, and then that data is, is tapped. Uh, it's obviously available to the public on one level or another. Uh, what I don't know is, um, you know, what's the, what's the latency of the data, um, things like that. Uh, 
And it's one thing to point that at a 777, for example, and say, oh, yeah, that airplane's going to Paris, or that, <clears throat> that airplane's coming in from San Francisco or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's another to say, well, that's, um, um, uh, that's General Motors Corporation or something like that. What, what are they doing departing this, this particular airport? They don't have any facility here. Oh, wait, maybe, maybe they're looking to do business with a vendor here. Maybe right. they're looking to build a new factory. Maybe I should go buy up some real estate or something. Yeah, well, that's why uh, people block themselves yeah, from the other yeah. system, the, uh, right. the uh, what's it called, uh, FlightAware um, system. Well, the FlightAware, I forget the, the technical name for that, right. but FlightAware yeah. is one, one example of, of how that data is used. Um, but, um, I, and I don't know that uh, you can block yourself from ADSB. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I presume, David, I presume there is a way to do that, but I don't know if it's, if, if you know, NBA <laughs> is the one years ago that implemented the, uh, the blocking uh, procedure protocol, uh -huh. if you will. Uh, I bet it extends to ADSB. Well, there have been some low-level voices talking very excitedly for quite a long time about the uh, accessibility of the ADSB signal and, and the information it carries. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, you know, the, 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 the worry about using ADSB to identify something is new. Uh, is not new, just this particular tool to do it right at the second. Because there are already little receivers you can plug into computers that will show ADSB traffic within a certain distance of your right. of your notebook. Jeb, didn't Luca show us something like yeah, that? Yeah, was I was just going to say, Luca had, had uh, um, when he was down in, at uh, Sunnyfine, uh he had shown us several things associated with that, not least of which was uh, uh, some sites where um, European air traffic looked at on a, a real-time basis. Um, in a, in much different, well, much, I should say similar to uh, the way FlightAware works here in, in the U.S., mm -hmm. but um, also different because it's all ADS-B. Yeah, yeah. As far as the security risk of this is concerned, uh you know that stuff's transmitted to the uh, aircraft situation display in in uh, DC, and 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 that's where the raw data for f things like FlightAware comes from, right? Right. Uh, N numbers can be blocked, but uh, and I wonder how much th this new iPad or iPhone app. Uh, actually, depends on ADSB and whether it may not be trapped tapping the same information stream that FlightAware uses. I'm not sure myself. Right now, although, that'd be a lot more airplanes than, than the number that's going to be out there with ADSB yeah, so far. Uh, but I'm, I'm relatively certain that it's ADSB. I've heard a couple of conversations okay. that it's, first of all, I've heard conversations yeah. that it's only ADSB data, which means it's not a really v very big sky full of airplanes. Right, and, right. and second of all, I've heard that it's delayed by some minutes. There's a, there's a lag in it. Yeah. Uh, that I'm not 100% sure on, but I think I heard that. So uh, I don't know. Well, that would have to be, I think, in the app itself uh, because it would no, kind of negate the use of the signal coming from the I airplane. See, I see was, what you're saying, but that, but I no, did hear that it was the, the, the service that was delaying it. Yeah, the delay is put, uh, you know, with you know, behind the firewall uh, where people are using this to help control traffic and track traffic. Uh, for for good reasons, there's no delay. Um, 
the delay is imposed uh, before it goes out to the public, before yeah. the dash goes out to the public. Or it probably is and delayed. I think that's also true for ASD. Yeah, that's probably it's probably delayed though to people who just don't want to pay the subscription fee or something like that. Nope. You know? No. Whatever it is. Oh, you know, Luca. Luca would certainly be one to talk to. I'm sure there's other geeks out there. I'm, I don't. I don't say geek in the, in the pejorative way. Yeah. No. I'm I sure agree. there are other. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there are other geeks out there who know much more about this. And, yeah. Could could tap into some data streams without. Yeah, a whole I mean, lot. yeah. And my it final should, thought. Go ahead, Jim. It appears to be. It appears to be public domain, but I don't know. I don't know how to access it. Yeah, no, nor I. But I bet you could figure it out. Yeah, again, you know, my again, I you know, the security question is a good question. On the other hand, to to block it or in any way obscure it kind of defeats part of the purpose or part of the future benefit of ADSB, which is that other aircraft should be able to access this information to see what's around them. Well, the argument has never been to provide some way to block the signal because, then, right. like you say, that kind of takes away the utility of the whole technology. But there's been a lot of argument in favor or a, a few people very insistent that there's ways to uh, encrypt this that would involve you know writing software and having it installed in the pipeline rather than this basic re- translator repeater thing that's the, the right. setup now. Uh, and that they could protect the uh, data and, you know, increase security and, and, and the integrity of the information if they just would encrypt it. And, and that would mean in, in building that encryption capability and controlling it into the receivers and the uh, transmitters, the airborne and the ground system, and whatever it's going to have to work with whatever goes to the screens. Yeah. And I'm not sure that they were really thinking in those terms when they started this, or they might have done it back then. Yeah, who knows? Anyways, moving on. But the uh, the uh, so the app on the iPhone is called Plane Finder AR. AR is an augmented reality. So Plane Finder AR. It's a couple dollar download on the uh, iPhone App Store, and it's not clear to me whether it's available in any of the other services. What's next here? Um, Here's a sequence of photos that have been floating around on the internet for a few weeks now. Um, that did we talk about this? I can't even remember whether we talked to Zoom. I don't remember. I don't remember. No, I don't think we did. Yeah, no. this is a pretty astounding sequence of photographs of a uh, of a, a sailplane, a glider, um, uh, having a really hard landing. Uh, <laughs> bad joke. Could have been a tragic, tragic situation yeah. here. No, um, so that's not a hard landing. That's a crash. That's, that's a crash. That's a crash. <laughs> yeah. The first the first photo in the sequence shows the sailplane almost a ninety degree downward nose down attitude, coming right at the runway. Um, the second one has the one of the wingtips contacting the ground. The third one has the uh, the main part of the fuselage. Uh, hitting the ground and being shattered, and you get a really disturbing picture of the the canopy pops off, and you can see the pilot in, inside, and then the uh, then the follow-on shots show the uh, the air, aircraft sitting on the ground, and then finally the uh, pilot climbing out. Um, it, it's pretty shocking, amazing. Literally, literally crawling away from the wreckage. Yeah. I read someplace, I'm trying to see if it's in this story here, I read someplace that uh, he did, in fact, um, receive some fairly serious injuries to his spine, um, but yeah. obviously it wasn't fatal. And, uh, wow, just what an amazing series of pictures. Um, and uh, I, I guess one of the things I wanted to talk about in regards to this is that uh, I was talking with a, uh, a, a, a grizzled old airport guy um, a couple weekends ago who um, we were talking about this sequence of pictures, and he said his claim was that the thing that made this survivable was the fact that it was a composite airplane, what he kept referring to as a glass airplane. Um, 
and uh, he he says that the the shock absorption of this material is what made this survivable. He claims that if this had been, for example, an aluminum or a metal structure to this aircraft, it would have collapsed in and crushed the guy. That was his point. Um, any thoughts? Uh, well, I, 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 that's composites. a generalization. Yeah. Yeah. David? The, the, the composites do fail uh, differently than metal. Uh you know, metal will go up to a certain point and start to show signs that it's going to fail. You, you know, buckling or stretching, and then it's going to go. And it, it, some impacts, it's going to crumple. Some, it's it's just going to crush. Depend on how you hit. Composites tend to bend quite a bit until they get past their load absorbing capability, and then they start to break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, carbon fiber breaks differently than fiberglass uh, and aramids. They they the Kevlar stuff it it fails differently as well. Uh, I think the fact that the guy had so little mass, uh huh, for that structure to absorb. I mean, relatively speaking, here you know, it's a sailplane like that's not gonna not gonna be very heavy for its size. Uh, the fact that the left wing started to, it, it it took some of the impact first, and you can see how the wing bows on the impact, and then the fuselage starts to hit, and when the fuselage starts to hit, the wing comes back up off the ground because it's pivoting toward the tail. Uh, and interestingly, right behind the wing, that shot with the wing first hitting the ground, right behind where the wing intercepts the fuselage, you can see the fuselage starting to wrinkle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's a combination of air loads, I guess, and the loads being transmitted up through the airframe by by the wing spar. Uh, but it sure... It it sure had a progressive slap smash crash uh, that worked out for this guy. I mean, what they say three crushed vertebra and was yeah. or, or cracked vertebra and was expected to make a full recovery. Yeah, uh, baby, anything you can crawl away from and heal from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I I understand what Dave's saying, and I certainly don't do. Disagree with it as far as uh, relative to uh, uh, characteristics of various composites, um, but I, I just don't know that um, in this in this event that a composite airframe is going to protect the passenger or the pilot better than a, than a metal one or a wooden one or, or made you know something else. Um, two two or three things going on here. One is a very light airframe to begin with. Two, it's it's going fairly slowly. I don't know how fast it was moving, but uh, um, it was already in a stalled condition. That's how the guy lost control. Um, third, he, he's obviously strapped in. He's obviously got some safety equipment on. He's wearing a parachute as he crawls out of the out of the sailplane, out of the cockpit. <clears throat> the uh, um, the uh, sailplane has a basically a reclining couch-like seat in it 
the the um, the pilot is not sitting upright like he would be in a car or, or say a one seventy two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, what if any structure is forward of of the cab and forward of the cockpit here. There's probably not a whole lot there. Um, clearly, um, you know, the aircraft gave its all to protect the uh, the pilot. I don't know if that was by design. Um, and I don't know, you know, for example, if it would, if it had, if it had been, say, a an older Schweitzer uh, um, two thirty two or, or something like that, if uh, it would have reacted any differently. I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, we'll go out and we'll go out and find one and, and and throw it out of runway sometime and see, you know, see what the reaction is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's tough to make a generalization like that. Um, you know, composite versus metal versus. Um, um, wood for uh, for three examples. There's been a lot of instances where you know you take a take a, an SR22 for example, and um, it, it sustains some damage. Let's say it dings a wingtip or something like that. Well, the wingtip shattered, um, and uh, a metal airplane, the wingtip would be dented. You can b- beat it back out and, and move on down the road. Um, so yeah, again, it, it all depends. I guess is the punchline. Yeah. What is that out on the wingtips of the... Uh... You know, I was wondering about that. I wondered if they weren't smoke generators. <clears throat> because the guy I thought uh-huh. had been flying at an air show. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, first, the first shot shows these things on the two wingtips, colorful kind of things. Uh, the second shot uh, on the right wing shows what... Some, almost like they broke away. See it up above there? Right. In the, all right? right. And if you look at the third shot, it's kind of drifting down. It almost looks like, I don't know, almost like parachute like, little parachute, right? And then the third shot, maybe I'm seeing it off in the disc, or the fourth shot, maybe I'm seeing it on the ground in the, in the background. I don't know. It's interesting. I can't quite figure out what those things are. The smoke generators is a good, good guess. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, uh, the, you can see the spoilers out on the wing in that first shot. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. The spoilers are deployed, and the yoke is uh, pitch control is all the way aft. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, continue, and continues all the way aft through the first three photos. It's hard to tell about the fourth one whether it's still further aft, and then it's not even shown in the rest of the photos. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, Moving any, on. Any, any, anything you can crawl away from. Anything you can crawl away from, yeah. Let's see now. Uh, David, uh, off. <laughs> David's, David's like stretching the metaphor here. Last week it was an off, off, on beach landing of the week. That's what it was last week. And this week it's an off field splash of the week. Uh, tell us a little bit about why, why is it, tell us about this landing. What, what's this all about? Uh, down in near Boynton Beach, uh, Florida. Yeah, it seemed we got a lot of Florida action today. Uh, pilot was, we don't have an identity. We don't have much in the way of details here. Uh, this apparently just happened uh, Monday evening, and this was the early stories. But a pilot made uh, an emergency landing, and he apparently tried to land on the grass, on a grassy area alongside one of the uh, uh, canals. Okay. That South Florida has got a lot of. Central Florida has got a lot of, uh, and didn't exactly negotiate the the final arrival, uh, the way he envisioned it. And the airplane flipped and went into the canal. 
and the guy said the pilot was not injured. He got out okay. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, it's just bloody lucky that alligators run away from crashing airplanes. Yeah, assuming they do. I don't know. I uh, and That's what I've always thought. You know, a couple times I've been flying over Florida. I keep looking down at all this water and all these stretches of flatland, and I'm thinking, okay, there's plenty of places to set it down. And then I'm thinking, but wait a minute, there's like, you know, gators and snakes down there. I don't know. Let's, let's any, see any, in anywhere here. in the state, in anywhere within the state lines of Florida, if there's water, my first thought is, I wonder where the next alligator is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jeb oh. Jeb genuinely believes there's a gator living in the puddle in the ba- in his backyard, his new backyard. Oh, there is. There, there's there there. You can hear him. And I've seen one. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah. I've oh, seen joy. him. You know, a couple of three times. I'm, this is not. You know, I haven't seen him lately. He, he, I think mating season is over and he's moved on. Oh, so you mean there may, might have been two uh, alligators? Don't start making jokes. <clears throat> yeah. Someone, <laughs> someone indicated there were more than one out there. But uh-huh. I, I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any for uh, you know at least a month or so. Uh huh. I yeah. hear him. Every month. Now there's a but legendary is, gator in your neighborhood, right? What's the? He's, he's got a name like Big George. Bob. But, Big say it again. Bob. Big Bob. Big yeah. Bob. Yeah. yeah. Um, you remember? When we went for the champ ride, when yeah, you, you think you think it was Big sun. Bob you saw from the champ? Um, if it wasn't Big Bob, I don't want to meet Big Bob. <laughs> uh, um, we, I was, I don't know, six, seven hundred feet above ground, and just you know, kind of droning along in this air knocker, in this champ, and um, I, I purposely was flying over the river. And I wanted to see if there I could see any alligators between, you know, up and down the river there. That's just, right. Careful what you uh, wish for. Careful what you wish for and, and trusting in God and Continental to, to keep us up. But, <laughs> but uh, there was this log swimming upstream, okay? Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's not um, a log. That's my wife. Oh, no. Sorry. Right, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, we got on the ground and I asked Dave, I said, did you see that alligator? He said, yeah, that was Big Bob. <laughs> so you know, we didn't get down close enough to you know you know check his teeth or anything, but that uh, was quite sufficient for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, Florida has always been fun to visit on story assignments that involve flying amphibs and float planes and stuff. I mean, it's just such a target-rich state. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you can you can kind of splash your way all the way across the state from one side to the other and back again and never put your wheels on dry land. But I've never failed to go down there and work one of those gigs or fly those airplanes, those kind of airplanes off the water, where somewhere in the day, usually multiple times in a day, we would see alligators, sometimes sunning themselves on the bank, sometimes you know, swimming along real lazy, and we'd come cruising in real slow, low power right over top of them and watch them splash. And before we could do a 15-second, 180-degree turn to come back, it sucker would be back up on the surface swimming along like nobody's business. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, David, you tell a story about how you were, you were, ta- you were taunting um, alligators with your ultralight one time. Do I remember this story correctly? Uh, something along those lines, uh, a gentleman named Phil Lockwood uh, down in Sebring, who was flying with me in the uh, air cam, uh, a customer's air cam. Uh, Phil was the guy that created the air cam design and you know helped bring it to market and 
proved its use as a as a great twin engine airplane in Africa for National Geographic. We're flying along over Sebring, and there's a uh, over the lake, and uh, down toward the south central end, there's a an island. Nothing on it. Great, great collection of birds. We went cruising around there really slow. Uh, low power, didn't make enough noise to disturb the birds, and then saw three alligators uh, on a on a sand spit. Uh, oh, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away. One of them was big enough that from a quarter of a mile away, you kind of went, whoa, that's a big sucker. <laughs> uh, we went cruising over there. I thought cruising overhead at 50 feet was more than close enough uh, to get a good look at them. And we, we came away thinking it was a bull courting two sisters. They were at one end. He was at the other. Uh you know they weren't mixing it. They were waiting for the right song to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil brought us down low enough that the big bull got at least his front feet off the ground, trying to snap at the tire. He was not pleased with us. Yeah. He didn't run and hide. No. Uh, he was. What, what he, what he was if thinking, he was a foot, he was fourteen. Yeah, Jeb, go ahead. Yeah, what he was thinking is, you know, hey, you know, I, I called for some fish and whatnot, but I didn't know they were going to be delivering humans by air. <laughs> That's, you know, you got you got to give that carry out that carry out joint some kudos for this. You yeah, know? really, yeah. Well, congratulations to uh, the uh, Boynton Beach pilot or the pilot someplace near Boynton Beach who managed to uh, at least get on the ground safely, even though he flipped into the the canal. And uh, good job there. What's next here? Um, in their Same never thing for the pilot in England, uh, whose name was in this whole thing. Uh, yeah, Mike Newman. Which, is this Mike, a different story? You know, hats off to you, man. Oh, okay. This, this is the glider, right? Yeah. Oh, that's the glider guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Moving on here. Let's see. Uh, so uh, in its never-ending quest to uh, keep us safe, the FAA has uh, released some, let's see now, I'm not sure if these are guidelines or suggestions or thoughts on the subject of lithium batteries. Um, the FAA, this is from a story in AvWeb, uh, the F, and this is, quite a, this is October 8, so it's a few days ago. FAA Friday released a safety alert to address the, quote, risks in transporting lith- lithium batteries in cargo by aircraft. Um, apparently a, a UPS flight uh, that crashed back uh, on September 3rd was carrying a large quantity of these kinds of batteries, and, uh, and they are known to be a, a fire hazard. They, they can, under certain circumstances, burst into flames, which is uh, kind of a... And the thing that makes this particularly disturbing is that almost all of our laptops and electronic devices right, these right. days have lithium batteries in them. So, uh, you Well, know. they produce a fire hot enough that it spontaneously ignites other batteries in, in proximity of that heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They yeah. will just ignite when they get too hot. Well, it's not simply when uh, so they get... So if you get a fire started with a shipment like that, it's going to perpetuate itself and right. accelerate damn quickly. But now, as I understand it, it's not simply a question of if they get on fire, they burn hot. It's also that lithium itself is one of these uh, one of these uh, compounds or whatever you call it, that one of these materials that will actually burst into flames if it comes into contact with oxygen, I believe. And as a result, these batteries are very carefully packaged up so that the lithium portion of it doesn't doesn't ever get exposed. But if it does, whoosh! Um, there are all kinds of all throughout the technology community. There are you know kind of 
you know, stories, you know, that uh, that kind of get their play for a couple of days about somebody's telephone that caught on fire in in, in a person's pocket or something, and uh, um, it's uh, it's a little scary to think that these things are being carried in the holds of aircraft, you know, or. Uh, well, and if one of these batteries develops an internal short, yeah, uh, it, it's done. Yeah, so uh, right, whatever it's the, a candidate to burn you, right? So crispy, exactly. Whatever the ignition source is, and maybe I'm maybe I'm, I'm in left field about this oxygen thing, but they they can spontaneously or easily sometimes catch on fire and they make a big fire. Um, I guess my question here is: Should we worry about carrying our laptop on board our airplane with us? I mean, uh, you know, no. Yeah, that, I don't that's think so. Why? You know, your laptop's in the you know behind the back seat in your bag, and uh, it catches on fire. You're not worried. Well, if it catches on fire, I'm worried. I'm just not particularly worried about it catching on fire. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm being the, the kind of problems that they've had most seriously uh, with lithium batteries have been these large quantity shipment cases where there's been something that either a fire started nearby or something ignited one of the batteries and it spreads like a bat out of hell. Uh, instances of consumer products uh, catching fire have, have, have happened, but they generally haven't created the kind of fire that's going to you know, burn down a house. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I was playing devil at devil's advocate. I'm actually not all that worried about it either, but uh, I, I just kind of wanted to get it on the table. Okay. I want to get it the hell out of the airplane in a big hurry. Yeah. Jeb, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's something that certainly it's a, it's a concern and and anytime excuse me, anytime there's a fire aboard an airplane, uh it's it's um, a bona fide emergency. Absolutely. Yeah, we talked about this last week. I agree it, completely. Get yeah. the airplane on the ground. But uh am I worried about uh, you know my cell phone <clears throat> or my laptop catching fire? Probably not. You know, on the scheme of scheme of things, there's a lot of other stuff to worry about. But if you know it does get hot, and you do think that maybe there's a problem with it, um, you certainly justify landing and checking it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see now. What's next here? Uh, oh, very cool. Uh, first flight for Spaceship Two. Uh, the uh, the what do they call it? Virgin. Uh, what's the name of the company that? Uh, Virgin, Virgin Spaceship. Two. Virgin Galactic is the uh, is the uh, the name VSS two and uh, had its actual first fl- first free flight. Uh, they've they've taken it up, um, strapped underneath the mothership. Uh, I don't know how many times, but before, um, and the mothership has flown without the spaceship two. But this is the first time they actually detached and and glided glid glided to the ground. And uh, uh, they're getting closer and closer. They're talking about flying yeah, the first revenue. Sh- flights you know pretty soon and i'm scanning the story trying to find the quote that i saw that talked about when they were were going to do the first revenue flights but uh, you know these folks who plunk down their deposits to get to fly up into the uh, uh into space uh, it's uh, it's coming pretty soon this is kind of cool dave you, you guys want to I, I i say dave because we always kid dave about he'll fly anything um you'd fly this right dave oh yeah yeah oh, oh yeah you know her you know her oh yeah yeah. Uh, and if anybody would care to contribute to the fund to help make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't think that kit planes is going to get you a free ride, huh? <laughs> well, I, 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 I doubt seriously that there's going to be uh, uh, an excess of press rides. 
And uh, I, I would expect that there will be a press seat uh, scattered among the early ones or that uh, Branson would do a, a, an out-and-out all-press ride. But then after that, baby, it's it's not going to be deep and wide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd fly. I'd certainly ride in it in a heartbeat. That's for sure. Um, I'll have to tell you that one of the scariest moments I've ever had watching an, an aircraft in flight was during that Spaceship One uh, flight when um, I'm blanking on his last name. Mike, uh, what's his routine? Melville. Test? Mike Melville. Um, was was coming back down, and he got into that scary oscillation. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is going bad. This is we're you know because we kind of knew Mike. I mean, I've never met him, but he's been a regular at Oshkosh, and and he's just you know part of the community. And I'm thinking, I know this guy, and and he's gonna gonna die in this airplane today. But he managed to get it back under control. He knows what he's doing, and uh, and he kind of kind of brushed it off later on during the press conferences. But uh, it was a scary moment for me, anyways. I, I don't know about you guys. Was- I always love the uh, simplicity of the zero G demonstration medium. Yeah, I know. What did he do? He he threw some Float, M- floating M and M's. Floating M and M's. Well, that's of course that's because that's his initials. That's become his uh, his signature. Jeb, what were you, did you have any thoughts from that? Moment? No, I was going to say, as I recall, uh, um, he had experienced that in, in previous test flights. Oh, had he? Okay. So he, so he knew how to how to compensate correct it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I might be wrong. It, it was a fairly well known. <laughs> yeah, it was a well-known thing, and uh, but I didn't know that at the time. I'm watching this video because it was live video on I don't know TV or on the net or something like that. And uh, well, being being known is one thing, and and you know the expectation and knowing that you got out of it before, but technology that close to the bleeding edge uh, in terms of what you're accomplishing there. I mean, they that that's a test flight every bloody time. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So, congratulations on the uh, Virgin Galactic folks and uh, and the others who are building it, uh, and for the first flight of Spaceship Two. And in in all my cur- curricula vitae are easily available, uh, <laughs> so you, I, I, I could tell you where to. It's not your curricular. It's not your CV that they want to hear. It's it's your checkbook. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Jeb, why did you put this story on the list? The war flying with Wi-Fi sniffing drone. What's this all about here? This is well. A, this yeah. is this is about basically a um, war flying is not a term that I was was familiar with before I looked at this. But um, war driving uh, is what it's war, coming from. War driving, yeah. Right. War driving is what it's coming from, which is um, the um, the sniffing out of Wi-Fi uh, um, hotspots. Around a neighborhood or, or a certain location, and, and plotting them, and, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, you know, kind of like plane spotting or something like that, I guess. But uh, now they've elevated this to war flying, and uh, there's a couple of hackers, um, um, Mike and Rich, uh, are their names. No last names apparently are being used, but they perhaps for the best, perhaps for all kinds of reasons. Who knows? Yeah. They've got this uh, former um, U.S. Uh, surplus, U.S. Army target practice drone that they've acquired somehow. And they've gone through it, shall we say, and, and added some tech toys to it. Um, and basically, they're now using it um, as uh, for a war flying platform. Uh-huh. And they're flying it around and snooping out uh, Wi-Fi networks. 
Uh, and this all just kind of uh, piqued an interest on me. I need my own drone. That's right. Yeah, I have always thought all kinds of things I can do with my own drone. And, yes. and there are there is a market out there for um, certainly in the agricultural industry uh, for uh, farmers to, uh, you know, uh, send out these smaller they're smaller drones. They have video cameras, they have GPS in them, they have all these, uh, some other equipment and they're used to look at the crops they are used to, to plot, you know, where, where they need to do various things. Uh, you can't get real time imagery of of the land um, cheaply enough without without a tool like this. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to use it for you know for checking out crops though. No, yeah, right. No, I've always wanted one of these. I've I've always thought it would be cool that that when I'm driving my car, particularly on long distance trips, I want to have my own personal AWACS. All right, right. I, I want right. to like have uh, an RC, either either radio controlled or 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 you know autonomous aircraft that flies out ahead of me and is watching the traffic on the highway and looking for speed traps and you know kind of just scoping out the things ahead of me and uh, I think that would be really cool. You get display back really in the car. Cool also, yeah. 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 Yeah, so I, I agree. It's got to have it's got to have video and it's got to have still imagery and you know there's a few other things that it needs to have the Wi-Fi, you know, uh, uh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, so that's uh, what these guys did. And that's and what these guys did. the thing is is pretty well hacked. I mean, it's got 3G, it's got uh, GPS, it's got Wi-Fi sniffers on it, obviously. Um, and, and how does it does it fly um, as uh, as RC? Are they controlling it from the ground, or is it? Uh, I think I think it's programmed. I think they they program a, a flight path into it before it leaves, oh, okay. and, and and then you know it comes back to the to the launching point or wherever they want to they want to send it. So they've already started advancing the project. They intend to improve its flight characteristics, reduce its weight. And other add other cool capabilities like GSM. Um, okay. Yeah, until they get yeah, a knock on the I door from the TSA, right? Yeah. Well, I think the FAA and and uh, uh, Homeland Security uh, TSA is you know they just want to snoop in your pocket and see what you're carrying on yeah, board. Yeah, you're right. Homeland Security's got to knock on the door. Well, they got Bluetooth, cellular imaging capabilities, and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I think it's just pretty cool. And I think I want one. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering where this is legal. Well, it's an RC aircraft. Where where can you fly RC aircraft? At RC aircraft parks, but I can't send them off on cross country trips on a pre programmed GPS uh, routing uh, at altitudes up to twenty two thousand feet without talking to somebody. Well, that's true. That's true. But no, it's it's you, you can do this once, right? Yeah. yeah, we're not letting the military do this kind of stuff out in the regular airspace. I know, I know. It well, definitely is a can I, of worms. You know, it's kind of like if he runs into somebody. Yeah, there's two things going on here. Um, I don't know where they're flying it and under what rules they're flying it, which is certainly a legitimate question. Um, I I think though that if you're if you're if you're below a certain altitude, you can pretty much do anything you want. You know, you've got model rocketry. As long as it's below a certain altitude, you can do it pretty much anywhere and anytime you want. Sure. Uh, so, and I don't know what that altitude value is. It's you know, three hundred feet, two hundred feet, five hundred feet. But the flip side of which is, you know, once you're in Class G airspace, as long as you're not near uh, an airport, as long as you're not near an instrument approach or something like that, uh, Class G airspace goes up to twelve hundred. 
mm-hmm. and uh, I, don't, I, I don't know what the rules are in Class G, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to, to find out that uh, um, this is probably fairly legal. Yeah, pretty cool. If it is which, legal, I want one. Yeah. Well, which is another reason to climb high. Yeah, exactly. Get out of get out of engine country, right? Get out of get out of Cherokee territory. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, David. So then, what's this final story that's on the list? Is uh, um, this is a cool looking airplane? Let me start out by saying this. All right, this is just a really funky looking airplane, and apparently it's big, right? It's like a real. Oh real, yeah, it's big. Um, and it's got this big kind of you know teardrop shaped um, um, fuselage. Um, Although not not size wise teardrop, it's just shaped that way. It's really big, bulbous kind of thing, and uh, it, it reminds me of a World War II bomb with a wing on. Yeah, a, yeah, a hundred fifty foot wing. Yeah, what's the purpose of this airplane? What's this all about? Uh, well, high altitude, what, long endurance. What aircraft. would you like to do? Yeah, okay. Uh, Did you post it, this because it, you like it or because you're troubled by it? I'm troubled by it. Why? Well, you know, we're talking about yet another way. And there's a photo on here that shows the speaker standing next to the fuselage. It'll give you some scale. Yeah. Uh, The the, uh, intelligence gathering potential is great as long as it's using it against people who don't live here. (laughs) I'm cool with that. You know, uh, we, we don't... We don't, as a society, condone government spying on individuals just because they got a really cool 150-foot wingspan, uh, uh, high-duration uh, or long-duration airframe to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I grok the, you know, the military potential and all that. But they're also talking about these uh, uh, civil missions that they could put it up there and use it as a communications relay, yeah. which was something that uh, uh, Rutan worked on developing with his Proteus right. years ago. It was a, an airborne, you know, instead of putting an antennas all over the place, just put up these airborne units. They'll loiter for days. Uh, they can access the relay station when they need to be serviced. Another one will go up and take their place, do the electronic handoff. Yeah, a great idea, but i got to figure that, be, that the fact that it hasn't been embraced is a sign that it doesn't somehow doesn't work or is not cost yeah, effective. Yeah, you, you, you and I are kind of on the same groove on that on, as this concern. But the more industry invests in developing these things, just as, as a general nature of itself the more they're going to be putting pressure on the faa to let them loose out on the airspace yeah i mean this one could stay aloft at sixty-five thousand feet for four days yeah let me just kind of it's still got to go up and come down first two graphs from this story which is from the boeing.com website so it's a little self-serving probably boeing unveiled its hydrogen-powered phantom eye unmanned airborne system during a ceremony in st louis on july 12 the demonstrator which will stay aloft at 65,000 feet for up to four days is powered by two two liter four-cylinder engines that provide 150 horsepower each it has a 150 foot wingspan will cruise at approximately 150 knots and can carry up to 450 pound payload. Then there's a quote here from the from Daryl Davis, the president of Boeing Phantom Works. He says, Phantom Eye is the first of its kind and could open up a whole new market in collecting data and communications. Uh, it's a perfect example of turning an idea into reality. 
So, yeah. Cool airplane, but you're right. A little, little disconcerting. What it's well, and, that, and I love the technology they're using. More powers. Skynet. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, Jeff. Say again. More Skynet. More Skynet. I saw yeah. a story. I, I was thinking of you today, Jeff. I saw a story about uh, a woman who's doing some sort of, you know, I don't know, doctoral dissertation or some sort of um, um, school project, if you will. Um, uh, she's going to do a robot census. She wants to. <laughs> she wants to count all of the robots that are currently uh, existing in the world. And uh, I have three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, there you go. She'll be knocking on your door with her little clipboard. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, that's right. So, what, I'm, what I'm what I'm really impressed with here is they've got they're using two liter four cylinder engines uh, from Ford. Yeah. They're Ford Ranger engines. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very Britannish, actually. Yeah. Then they're using liquid hydrogen and oxygen to fuel the bloody things. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, uh, you can do that? Yeah, sure. in an internal combustion engine, not you know something really uh, uh, cutting edge sci-fi like fuel cells driving electric motors, but just plain old internal combustion engine, but really trick fuels. Which, of course, you know, all we need is more carbon emissions at 65,000 feet. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's, it's way up there. That's not a big problem, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. We made it. Shout outs. Anybody got any? I got none. Yeah, I got nothing. I got one. I got one. Go ahead. Jeb. Um, you, you all know her. I, I just kind of keeping this uh, to myself here today. You all know her. Um, but one of my neighbors, mm-hmm. uh, Katie Caron, soloed today. Awesome. Yay. Oh, way to go, Katie. I, yeah, I haven't even been able to to get by and give her a hug and congratulations yet, but I just got this via email a few hours ago. Uh, over at Arcadia, this is the, the aforementioned 172 mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about that lead gone through. And uh, uh, she's been flying it now since, uh, I don't know, I guess we got it flying back in, uh, uh, I don't know, May or June, something like that. And, uh, you know, like any other, you know, pre-solo student, she's had issues with weather. She's had issues with, you know, getting a flight instructor and her schedule and the airplane schedule and all da 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 And she finally worked it all out here in the last few weeks. And, uh, boom, she soloed today. So That's congratulations, great. another another student pilot in the ranks, and uh, um, good job. That's terrific. Absolutely. Way congratulations. To, way to you go, girl. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, absolutely. Any other shout-outs, David? Yeah, real quick one, uh, and I'm not really sure who to shout this out to, because uh, the guy insists on uh, maintaining his anonymity, but a, uh, a young man named Anthony Napoleone was being treated uh, here in Kansas, in Salina, uh, for a, a fatal illness, uh, not expected to survive much longer. And his, you know, biggest wish was to get back home to Maine to live out the, what little time he's got left. Well, Sunday, he got his wish. Uh, an anonymous donor from the East Coast provided a private jet staffed with nurses and stocked with the medical equipment and covered all the expenses for the flight, picked up Anthony, flew him back home uh, you know, whoever that angel was, uh, way to go. And my real tip of the hat for not identifying yourself, not making a big deal about who you are or your ability to be able to afford to do this for this person that uh, I don't think you even know. So one of, the, one, one of those things about general aviation and the 
people that participate that uh, uh, always feels good to read about. Yeah. Well, that's it for 210. There we go. So, uh, that is very cool. Yeah. Uh, thank you, guys. It's always fun to get together. Dave Higdon, uh, uh, Senior Capitan Higdon, El Piloto Loco, apparently. No, <laughs> or El Piloto Loco. That's that's Jeb, right? And uh, anyways, oh yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Anyways, it's always fun. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer uh, and an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer dot com, Dave Higdon dot biz, aea dot net, uh, and. And a couple of places I can't tell you because you'd you'd have to be a member and they won't let you in. <laughs> D- Dave loves goats. Dave loves goats. dot com. <laughs> Jeb, Jeb Burnside uh, is a, a freelance aviation journalist currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the internet? AviationSafetyMagazine. dot com is a good place to start. Uh, JeBurnside. dot com is the next place to go. And uh, AEA.net is a place I show up on occasion, as well as AvWeb.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created the uh, UCAP disclaimer clips. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't you, forget, can just you, make, you can just make out a check to Richard Branson for us, too. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Just say, uh, add to the fund. Yeah. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live long through flying. Go fly. Live long. Remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. Good crowd. Hey, the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as private individuals. <laughs> yeah, their comments don't necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. <laughs> also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and... Fly that aircraft!